I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 175. Oh my God. Buiti binafi. Bienvenidos bitches. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, het, white dudes. Nope. It's true. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. That's R-A-C-I-S-T, allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth and I just happen to be white. And we love her Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we're not journalists, investigators or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patreon. Yeah. Uh, You can also support us by supporting our sponsors. Please do. Now, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're going to Brazil to talk about some murders that were committed by an unidentified serial killer that the Brazilian press dubbed the Rainbow Maniac. This was due to the fact that the murders took place in Paturas Park, a known meeting place for gay men. And this episode was researched and scripted by Minnie. Thanks, Minnie. But uh, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. Uh, we're recording this right before Halloween. Yeah. But it'll be after Halloween when it airs. Um, right. Are you dressing up this year? I, I am. I just don't know what it's going to be. I It's uh, going to be a matter of, okay, I just got off work. Time to take little people trick-or-treating and i'll see what i have in my closet uh are you dressing up yeah 
Yeah, I I went really simple this year. I'm going to dress up as Minnie Mouse. Oh, that's so cute. So you have ears <laughs> and you're going to paint your nose? Yeah. Oh, yep. I love it. Little yeah. whiskers. Oh. oh, I can't wait to see photos. All the years that I've done like uh, elaborate costumes, nobody knows who I am. So oh, I figured, you yeah, know, we've talked everybody about this. Know you do. Go- <laughs> yeah. you, I've always admired you going all out, but nobody will be confused. Um, yeah, nobody's going to be confused see- this year. Right. So that'll teach them. (laughs) And then I also wanted to say, because this is going to air right before um, the midterms, the the midterms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So don't forget to vote, everybody. Please, 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 please. It's very important this year. So, so important. Um, So let's get into some listener letters. Yeah, let's do it. Well, hello, angels. Thank hey you. There. Um, what's in that bag, Beth? So we got a voicemail from Erica in Charlottesville, and uh, it was pretty long. So she left two voicemails. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I have the thirty-second one here, and I'm gonna play it. Okay. Okay. Hey, Wendy and Beth, this is Erica calling back. My message got too long, but I just wanted to praise you guys one last time. Uh I love your show. I love what you're doing. Um, Anytime you guys want to have any type of con convention or a type of live episode near Virginia, please announce it. I will be the first to buy a ticket. (laughs) Again, love you girls. Keep going. Keep up the good work. And yeah. I wish the best to you both. Aww. Have a good day. Bye. Oh, Miss Erica, thank you so much. Thank you yeah. so much for rocking with us. We really appreciate you calling and leaving us your sweet, sweet voicemail. It was so nice to hear your voice. Um, and then yeah. a, just a little background from Erica. Like we said, she's from Charlottesville. Um, and she talks about living in Charlottesville as a woman of color. And she's in the oh, I Love Old Whitey Gang. Hello. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> and uh she talks about you know the racism and and it's a struggle and um yeah. she uh also talked about a recent case that we um talked about and how um she liked how we cover people who are ignored and so thank you erica we love you so much yeah thank you so much oh yes so uh we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna get into the story when we come back It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks' lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, Annette's when murder 
all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hello. Hello. Are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. It looks like I'm flying alone. I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, remind us, who is our subject today, Beth? Today we're talking about the Rainbow Maniac, oh. an unknown Brazilian serial killer. Mm, so it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Yeah. We don't usually do mysteries, but we have done a few and this is one of them. Got yeah. you. The murders took place in 2007 to 2008 in or around Paturas Park in Carapiquiba, Brazil. And as usual, when we're covering cases in other countries whose language we do not speak, we apologize profusely yes. for butchering the pronunciations. We're trying. We <laughs> do. And we are do, doing our best. Um, so yes. now we're going to get into some stats. Okay. <laughs> So the Petraeus Park murders, as Beth said, um, we don't know if who who's responsible, if it's a he or a yeah. she or a they or a them or a lots of people. But uh, there were at least 14 victims. They were all male and their ages ranged from 26 to 47. All but one were shot, 12 of them in the head, one in the back. One died from blows to the head and one unnamed victim was shot 12 times. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. The murders we're discussing today occurred in Paturas Park or Parque dos Paturas in the years 2007-2008. The park is in Carapiquiba, Brazil which at the time was a city of nearly 400,000 people. Mm -hmm. It is located in the metropolitan area of Sao Paulo, a.k.a. Greater Sao Paulo. Greater Sao Paulo is considered the second largest urban agglomeration in Latin America after Mexico City. Oh, I'd love to go there someday. Yeah. Um, so Brazil is comprised of the union of 26 states and a federal district. It is the largest country to have Portuguese as an official language and the only one in the Americas. It borders all other countries and territories in South America except Ecuador and Chile and covers a little over 47% of the continent's land area. Brazil also has a coastline of almost 4,700 miles. Wow. Wow. Brazil is the largest country in both South America and Latin America. It is also one of the most multicultural and ethnically diverse nations due to over a century of mass immigration from around the world. And it is the most populous Roman Catholic majority country. Should also say that it's ethnically diverse because of slavery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, that mass immigration it wasn't all people who chose to go there. It's people who mm -hmm. were stolen. True. Uh, so its Amazon basin includes a vast tropical forest home to diverse 
wildlife, a variety of ecological systems, and extensive natural resources. This unique environmental heritage makes Brazil one of 17 megadiverse countries. The term megadiverse country refers to any one of a group of nations that harbor the majority of Earth species and high numbers of endemic species. Wow, that's really cool. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because of this, Brazil is the subject of significant global interest as environmental degradation through processes like deforestation has direct impacts on global issues like climate change and biodiversity loss. Yeah, this is a time to listen to the indigenous people who are living there still um, for how to fix this problem. Um, (laughs) Sao Paulo is a coastal city located on the eastern side of South America. The region was originally inhabited by the Tupi people, one of the largest groups of indigenous Brazilians before its colonization. The Tupi people inhabited almost all of Brazil's coast when the Portuguese first began to colonize the area. On April 22nd, 1500, with the invasion of the Portuguese fleet commanded by Pedro Alvarez Cabral, the land we now call Brazil was claimed for the Portuguese empire. At that time, the Tupi population was estimated at about one million people, nearly equal to the population of Portugal at the time. They were divided into tribes, each tribe numbering from 300 to 2,000 people. The Portuguese settlers assumed that the Tupi people lacked any sort of religion, an assumption that led them to believe that they needed to be assimilated into Christianity. Mm. Come on, guys. It's great over here. No, it's not. (laughs) The settlers began erecting villages for the Tupi known as aldeas for the purpose of more disciplined religious conversion and institutionalization of European customs. Fuck off. Uh, Sounds like residential schools. And I will also say that when colonizers arrived to areas where indigenous people already were living and doing fine, they couldn't even fathom. Indigenous people were like, we're one with the land. We're cool. We're, you know, it's not perfect harmony, but we're cool. You know, our need, our basic we're, needs are met. We're, we're fine. We're yeah. fine. We don't need whatever it is you're selling. But this, um, they col- forced it on They them. forced it on them. But this colonization <laughs> mindset of, I see, I like, I take, it's mine, didn't even register for many indigenous people around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all. They didn't understand it because it wasn't it part of their it culture. It wasn't part of their culture. Didn't even make yeah. Fucking sense. (laughs) Right, right. So the colonists also spread stories back to Europe that the Tupi people were cannibals in order to get more European support to quickly and aggressively convert the Tupi to Christianity. The Portuguese also used religious conversion and and other means to coerce the Tupi people into providing free labor. Wow. Yeah. um, Yeah. I I was listening to maybe it was behind the bastards about Christopher Columbus, but he was like, Uh these these indigenous people are so nice. They say yes to everything. They give us Mm. everything. They'll do whatever we say. I think they'll make really great subjects and slaves. Anyone interested? And uh, turns out the all of Europe was. Uh, So this essentially turned into a plantation style enslavement of the Tupi people. And in turn, the concentration of the Tupi people onto these plantations accelerated the spread of 
fatal European disgusting diseases that they had no immunity to. This combination of factors nearly led to the decimation of the Tupi population, with the exception of a few isolated communities. The remnants of these tribes are today confined to indigenous territories or acculturated to some degree into the dominant society. Because the Portuguese colonists rarely brought women with them, they began to mix with the Tupi women. This was acceptable to the Tupi because they did have a tradition of incorporating strangers to their community by offering women as wives as a form of social bonding. Once a man agreed to take the offered wife, he formed a bond of kinship with all of the people of the tribe. And polygamy, a common practice among South American indigenous people, was quickly adopted by European settlers. Fuck yeah, we get to have sex <laughs> with everyone? Woo! Oh, jeez. <laughs> the Portuguese called the indigenous wives Tamericos and came to refer to these multiple marriages that bonded them to the indigenous community as cunhadismo from the Portuguese word cunhado, which means brother-in-law. Not surprisingly, the Portuguese began to use cunhadismo as recruitment for labor to increase crop production. The Portuguese could have many temericos and thus a huge number of indigenous relatives who were induced to work for them. And in the process, a large mixed race mameluco population was formed, which helped facilitate the Portuguese colonization of Brazil. The region of Sao Paulo became the biggest in the proliferation of mixed race colonizers, referred to as banderantes. With the original aim to capture and enslave indigenous peoples, they spread throughout the Brazilian territory and were responsible for the major expansion of the Iberian culture in the interior of Brazil. Brazilian society gradually began to lose its Tupi characteristics. The Portuguese language became dominant, but Brazilian Portuguese did absorb many words from Tupi. A number of places and cities in modern Brazil are named in Tupi. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, that is cool. The Guarani people, who also lived in the area and were similarly dealt with by the Portuguese, are related to the Tupi, but are considered distinct from its tribes because of their linguistic differences. Other tribes also formerly lived in areas that today form the metropolitan region of Sao Paulo, Brazil. On July 11, 1711, the town of Sao Paulo was elevated to city status. Around the 1720s, gold was found in the regions near what are now Cuiba, and Goiana. So the Portuguese expanded their Brazilian territory to incorporate the gold regions because, of course. <laughs> oh boy. When the gold ran out in the late 18th century, Sao Paulo shifted to growing sugarcane, and the cultivation of this commodity crop spread throughout the interior. The expansion of coffee production was a major factor in the growth of Sao Paulo as it became the region's chief export crop. Coffee was the economic engine for major economic and population growth in the state of Sao Paulo. And coffee is certainly my engine. <laughs> I cannot live without it. <laughs> you do you do make a mean cup. But now well, thank you. Now um <laughs> if we can, we should try to support um ethically sourced coffees. Am I right? True. Um, true. Yes. So uh let's see. Brazil became independent from Portugal in 1822. The Atlantic slave trade was abandoned in 1850, but only in May of 1888 was the institution formally abolished. And slave people had been the main source of labor in the coffee plantations, and a new labor pool was needed. 
A governmental stimulus towards the increase of immigration was provided, and as a result, large numbers of immigrants began to arrive, primarily Italians, Japanese, and Portuguese, many of whom settled in the capital. On November 15, 1889, the monarchy was overthrown by a military coup. The early Republican government in Brazil was really just a military dictatorship, with the army dominating affairs both in Rio de Janeiro and in the states. Freedom of the press disappeared, and elections were controlled by those in power. In 1894, following an economic and military crisis, civilians took power, remaining there until October 1930, when Getulio Vargas successfully led the Revolution of 1930, supported by most of the military. Vargas and the military were supposed to assume power temporarily, but instead closed down Congress, extinguished the Constitution, ruled with emergency powers, and replaced the state's governors with his own supporters. Hmm. uh, you know, that doesn't sound fair. Sounds a lot like something that minute. somebody else tried to do somewhat recently. Wait, wait I a minute. I think it was in uh, what, January? Sometime of in January? 2021, maybe? Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You're right. <laughs> Uh, on July 9th, 1932, the population of Sao Paulo rose up against Vargas, but the Sao Paulo revolt was crushed militarily in October of that year. In total, there were 87 days of fighting and 934 official deaths, though non-unofficial estimates report up to 2,200 dead, and many cities in the state of Sao Paulo suffered damage due to fighting. In total, there were three failed attempts to remove Vargas and his supporters from power. The Constitutionalist Revolution in 1932, a communist uprising in November of 1935, and the last one, a coup attempt in May of 1938. This last one resulted in the cancellation of the 1938 election and formalized Vargas as dictator. During this period, government brutality and censorship of the press increased. With the Allied victory in 1945 and the end of the fascist regimes in Europe, Vargas was swiftly overthrown in another military coup with democracy, quote unquote, reinstated by the same army that had ended it 15 years earlier. Several brief interim governments followed. Zhao Goulart assumed the presidency in 1961, but was deposed in April 1964 by a coup that resulted in a military dictatorship. This was with the support of the U.S. government, by the way. More metal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In 1967, the military regime enacted a new restrictive constitution and stifled freedom of speech and political oppression. The regime censored all media and tortured and exiled dissidents. In 1982, amid massive demonstrations in the streets of the main cities of the country, the first free elections in 20 years were held. Wow. In 1988, a new constitution was passed and Brazil officially returned to democracy. Democracy, and this was for real this time. Yeah, but uh, you know, I it's 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 hot over there as as well. Um, I've been seeing right now, um, yeah. posts, yeah, yeah, some some pretty um, alarming some, things. Uh, yeah, on. extreme right wingers over yeah. there, just like here. Yeah, yeah. So one of the most well known traditions in Brazil is Carnaval. Pa fuera! <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, my inner Zumba is popping out. A <laughs> celebration held annually during the period between Epiphany, 12 days after Christmas, and the last day before the start of Lent in February called Fat Tuesday. Lent is a 40-day period of fasting, abstinence, and repentance that's observed by the Roman Catholic Church and other Christian sects. In the U.S., Carnival is called Mardi Gras, which translates literally to Fat Tuesday, but it is not restricted to that one day. Carnival may or may not have origins in pagan festivals to welcome spring. If so, it was co-opted by the Christians to get pagans on board with Christianity, as they so often did. Hey, we party too, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, if you're wondering, that's why there are so many pagan elements in most major Christian holidays, like Easter eggs and Christmas trees. Those are pagan symbols. It's because Christians co-opted the pagan festivals and turned them into Christian holidays. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. For that tidbit of history. I find it fascinating. I do too. I mean, if you look back, a lot of things make so much sense when you go back to the beginning. When you know about the history. Yeah. Yeah. So in any case, it's a wild celebration of food, alcohol, music, and fun, and a last hurrah before the horrors of Lent. (laughs) 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 I have to give up what? For how long? Uh, I always miss Lent, by the way. um, I'll be talking to somebody. I'm like, oh, it's Lent. I I missed it. Wait a minute. It's Easter already. (laughs) Oh, shucks. Dang it. Well, maybe next year. (laughs) year. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it next year. 40 days of what? Yeah. Wait a minute. (laughs) When you say give up, like, do you mean not? Like totally? Or, you know, yeah. Just kind of? What about just the desire to give something up? Huh? That'll be cool with that. So the Portuguese brought the practice of carnival to Brazil around 1850, patterning it mainly on the Parisian tradition of holding masquerade parties and balls all this time of year. But the Brazilians, with that multiculturalism and African influence, really turned it up and show they sure did yep over time the brazilians morphed it into a version uniquely their own adding in elements from the people's african and indigenous cultural backgrounds celebrations differ by region but rio de janeiro's celebration is the most popular drawing approximately half a million foreigners annually from across the globe wow oh my god crime con can you please have an event there (laughs) (laughs) We can go. <laughs> um, I've been working on my samba. Um, so Carnival is Bra- in Brazil incorporates lots of parades, elaborate costumes, music, dancing, and balls. They have samba blocos, blocks of choreographed dances and live music, and block parties. Carnival in Sao Paulo is known for being inclusive and friendly to the LGBTQ community. LGBTQ rights in Brazil today are among the most advanced in Latin America and the world. Wow. Both Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo are major destinations for gay tourists from the U.S. and Europe, while the federal government recently launched a drive to make the country more gay-friendly. Sao Paulo is the annual stage for the largest gay pride march on Earth and home to one of South America's most vibrant gay communities. Oh, I love that. I I, yeah. I didn't see it in the script and I was I'm so glad it's in there cuz it, that's yeah. so rad. 
Um, and yet activists say prejudice against the LGBTQ community still remains widespread. Brazil has the highest absolute number of homicides in the world. So, wow. Yeah. Staggering, including many that are the result of hate crimes. And it has the highest levels of violence against trans people in the world. Wow. Wow. Brazil is the most religious country in Latin America, with approximately 90% of all Brazilians associating themselves with some religion. The major religion in Brazil is Catholicism, and Brazil has the largest number of Catholic Christians in the world. So there are still a lot of very conservative people in Brazil. Yeah, but I'm always baffled by this. Like how I... God and hate should never be in the same sentence, you know? Yeah, agreed. So I don't understand idea, it. Yeah. Um, so many Brazilian men still operate under machismo, a concept brought over by Portuguese colonizers. It came from Europe, y'all. Now, yeah. uh, welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy <laughs> and Beth. Now, I found a really, really good article on um, machismo. I'd written so much about machismo when I was uh, in college, but uh, it comes from the word macho. Macho, macho, macho man. man. I got to be a, a macho, macho man. man. <laughs> but this, you see, machismo is not as fun as the village. No, people. not nearly no, as fun not as, as one the village. Bit. People. <laughs> uh, it is. It is a social construct in Latin American and Spanish culture. Really, many cultures. And by the way, you don't have to be a man or male presenting or male identifying to be an agent of male oppression. Yeah. Um, it's about men having power and strength and dominance and courage fuck out of here and they are seen as good things and the more you have of those things the more value you possess as a man and the history of machismo yeah um what's that fart alert <laughs> um so, what's that bullshit uh so the history of machismo comes from christianity during the colonization of latin america they didn't ask for the machismo it, it came to came their from, shores yeah. yeah it came it came yeah. from um not it's it's not of this land the colonizers. it's not of america machismo also assumes that violence toward women and lgbtqia plus people is excusable it contributes hmm. to femicide discrimination and violence against the lgbtqia community so fuck that shit gross yeah yeah intertwined with machismo and i just found out about this recently what intertwined with machismo and roman catholicism is marianismo a Ooh. set of values and expectations concerning female gender roles mm -hmm. marianismo emphasizes the role of women as family and home-centered and it encourages passivity self-sacrifice and chastity well Gross. we're all supposed to be like the virgin maria maria right right maria. Porque Maria, 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 Santa Maria, Santa Maria. Okay, <laughs> so ultra conservative evangelical sects uh, see homosexuality as the work of the devil. One church performs exorcism of gays and lesbians live on TV, while churches oh, promising to quote unquote cure gay and lesbians can be found across the country. And this. I just I, that um what do we call that here conversion um therapy conversion therapy and yeah. it's really not therapeutic in any way it should be banned it should be terrorism yeah hate, it's fucking abuse. people up yeah it's awful yeah 
Hate speech promoted by Brazilian politicians and candidates against LGBTQ rights continues to increase the violence, and that's true here, too. Yeah. In the U.S. Mm -hmm. A survey released by the Brazilian Public Security Forum on the online behavior of police found that 24 percent of them publish anti-LGBTQ content on their personal and professional social networks. Professional, too, huh? That's too many to protect and serve. I can't trust you to do that. Um, So a recent study by the Oswaldo Cruz Foundation documented more than 24,600 incidents of violence perpetrated against Brazil's LGBTQ population between 2015 and 2017. Whoa. That is... That's two years. That's like over 12,000 incidents of violence per year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Against one community. Um, Yeah. And in the majority of cases involving LGBTQ teens, the victims are black. Mm. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls Find the best stories and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. So uh, now we're going to get into the killer's early life, which uh, 
well, since the case is still unsolved, we don't know <laughs> shit about the specifics <laughs> of the killer's early life. So let's just hop on over to the timeline. What do you okay. got, Beth? <laughs> the killings began on July 4th, 2007, when 32-year-old Jose Cicero Enrique was murdered in Paturs Park, a known meeting place for gay people, as well as a place where sex workers could be hired. At the time, Parque dos Paturas was a deserted place without lighting and with dirt roads. More victims followed with nine of them killed and left in virtually identical circumstances. The majority of the victims were dumped in the undergrowth with a 38 bullet in the back of the head. Their bodies left half naked with their pants wrapped around their knees. We couldn't find much detail about the victims, but the dates of their murders and their names are rest in power um, kings and queens. Um, July 8th, 2007, Jose Adilson Pereira, 58 years old. He worked in construction and had six children and 18 grandchildren. Wow. Yeah, that's a big family. Uh, July yeah. 13, 2007, Ubiratan Santos Souza, 35 years old. August 5th, 2007, Jose Carlos Rafael, 43. August 18th, 2007, Junior Ferreira de Silva, 34. Uh, September 13th, 2007, Anderson Da Silva Tanini, 26 years old. October 7th, 2007, Raimundo Francisco de Souza, 35 years old. The killer had been active at least once per month by this time, but then he seemed to take three months off. Was he killing elsewhere or had something happened to make him think he might be about to be caught? Was huh. he in jail? Hmm. Or maybe he was just too busy with other things uh, for his favorite pastime. Oh, who <laughs> you knows? You know how it gets busy around the holidays. Oh, right. <laughs> yes. You've got things to mail. You've got yeah. presents to buy. You've got to repair a Activities. lot. Yeah. So yeah. much. So much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You got to clear out your desk so you can actually take vacation. I mean, yeah, oh my there God. you go. Yeah. yeah, It's hard to say what mm -hmm. happened, but November, December and January went by with no publicized killings in the park. The killings resumed on February 12, 2008, with the murder of Angelo Magalais de Oliveira, 34 years old. Then February 26, 2008, Antonio Figueira de Souza, 35 years old, was killed. On May 18, 2008, Paulo Enrique de Costa, 29 years old, was killed. July 2, 2008, Sylvan de Souza, 29 years old, was a victim. August 2, 2008, Miguel Gonzalez de Olveira Filo, 47 years old. And Miguel was an employee of the Sao Paulo City Hall and worked with the Pineros Suprefecture, which is the West Zone. Um, on August 19, 2008, an unnamed man, age and identity not released by the police, was shot 12 times. Police sources told newspapers the hail of bullets had turned his body into a sieve. Oh, my God. Uh, what is a sieve? A sieve. A sieve. Uh, it's like a colander. Whoa, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, on October 17, 2018, Pedro Jao Itavan Peisoto, 27, known as Pamela. This one is a bit different as Pamela was not killed in the park, but was shot in the street outside of a hotel where Pamela or uh, Pamela, Pamela is what she was probably called, or they were called, had checked in earlier with a man. Okay. So now we are going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. In a later news interview, a local merchant referred to as Leonardo said he had gone out hunting for an adventure on the night of August 2nd, 2008. 
he approached a brown man and tried to strike up a conversation. The man reacted in a hostile manner to Leonardo's attempts at flirting with him, so Leonardo walked away. Minutes later, Leonardo heard five shots. He returned to the place where he had tried to talk to the man in a treed spot, the darkest part of the park, and found Miguel Gonzalves de Olveira Filo, 47, had been shot. I ran out and called the police, said Leonardo. A composite portrait was produced from the information that Leonardo gave to the police. As the police were still looking for more evidence to confirm whether or not this man had killed Miguel, the composite portrait was not released to the public. This wasn't the first time that Leonardo had found a body in the park. What? what? Record <laughs> scratch. <laughs> Wait a minute. That... I don't believe this. Why does he keep going back there? Uh, Why does he get so lucky? I know. You you read my mind um, because it is still, I still want to, I don't wish death on anybody, but I would like to be able to say, but if somebody's going to die, yeah, if somebody's going to die, I want to be the one to say, you want to find him. Hey, who, who is that? And then call the and call the police and and it looks you know, like a mannequin. Oh my god! Yeah, like kind of like on the movies. It's a weird fantasy. I've said I'm a sick fuck. I'm sorry. So anyway, he had previously found two others. This is the third one. Oh my god! So the police felt they needed to investigate him as a suspect. They did their due diligence, including testing his hands for gunshot residue, and there was none. There was also no other evidence indicating him as a suspect, so they cleared him and then requested his assistance in catching the murderer. I mean, he's catching all these bodies. Yeah. He ought to be able to catch the murderer. Right. That's what I'm thinking. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Leonardo had a network of friends in Petur's Park, so investigators began to rely on him for information on the gay community that frequented the park. After Leonardo had gone to the police, one more shooting happened in the park on August 19th, 2008. In this case, the victim, described as black and gay, his name, withheld by police, was shot 12 times. On August 29th, 2008, a different police chief, 66-year-old Paolo Fernando Fortunato, was brought in to investigate the most recent murders that had been reported by Leonardo. Fortunato realized that the recent murders and the ones that had been committed previously were likely all linked and began to reinvestigate them all. On October 18th, 2008, a news story indicated that the Sao Paulo Military Police Internal Affairs and the Civil Police in Osasco were investigating retired military police sergeant Jairo Francisco Franco on suspicion of involvement in the death of Pedro Jao Itaban Peisoto, 27, known as Pamela. Franco and Pamela had checked into a hotel together and shared a room for several hours before someone shot Pamela in the street outside of the hotel. Franco was picked up for questioning, but had to be released for lack of evidence. Oh, but he's a police officer, so maybe he just washed away the evidence. Mm -hmm. Franco had worked until July of 2008 in the 14th Battalion of the Military Police in Osasco. In addition to being suspected in the murder of Pamela, Franco was also being investigated by the police, internal affairs, and the civil police on suspicion of participating in an alleged extermination group formed by police officers from Osasco called death. The general commander of the military police was contacted by news media at the time, but would not comment on the investigation. 
For Carapicuiba, Police Chief Paulo Fernando Fortunado, everything indicated that a serial killer was active, mm. but he did not rule out the possibility that a death squad could be involved as well. I know we've seen in movies when police officers are like, aha, I think it's yeah. a serial killer, but it always takes them quite a bit of time to get there. To figure and it out. Yeah. Maybe that's because it's true. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, this has been going on for a while. So let's pause here for a brief culture corner because some of you might be saying to yourselves, Self's death squad? What the fuck? Well, <laughs> there yeah, are... me included. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are parts of the world where death squads are just considered part of life, and Brazil is one of those places. The Esquadreo da Morte, Death Squad in Portuguese, was a paramilitary organization that emerged in the late 1960s in the context of the Brazilian military dictatorship. It was the first group to have received the name Death Squad in Latin America. They're active now. Those are the videos that I was referring to earlier in the episode. Oh, um, okay. There's an election coming up in Brazil. Right. So the purpose of this original death squad was with the consent of the military government to persecute, torture, and kill suspected suspected criminals yeah. regarded as dangerous to society. No convictions, just suspects. Nope. Yep. Its actions resembled traditional vi vigilantism, and its members were mostly politicians, members of the judiciary, and police officials. So authorities. Authorities who just yeah. had a... They just had, had a little death squad uh, yeah. hobby on the side. Going on my death squad duty. Yeah. Um, be back for dinner. Um, yeah. They were funded by members of the business community, of course. Um, yeah. That's what all this... All this capitalism it's all and it's all about money. The, the money. Yeah. 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 All about the Benjamins. Yes, it is. In the 1970s and 80s, several other organizations were modeled after the 1960s death squad. The most famous organization is Scuderi Detective Lecoq. The English translation is Shield of Detective Lecoq, named after deceased detective Milton Lecoq. What a cock. Yes. <laughs> A uh, uh, crooked limp one. Now, the group was particularly active in the Brazilian southeastern states of Guanabara and Rio de Janeiro and remains active in the state of Espiritu Santo. In the state of Sao Paulo, death squads and individual gunmen called justicieros were pervasive and almost exclusively the work of off-duty or retired policemen. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. It is. Jesus. Because all they have to do is think that yeah. you have done something yep. wrong. Nobody has to yep. prove anything. And they just kill you. Yep. Yep. In 1983, a police officer nicknamed Cabo Bruno was convicted of murdering more than 50 victims. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. In the early 90s, during a particularly bad economic crisis, deprived, destitute street children turned to running drugs or joining organized crime groups and droves to survive. Death squads were hired by store owners to wipe out criminals in their areas, and hundreds of children were murdered <gasps> by death squads in order to clean the streets. Wow. 
Um, yeah. Not good. What did they do with the bodies and the blood? It just seems like a horror, horror show. Horror movie. Yeah. Like the purge. Yeah. yeah. That's unreal. And the death squads continue today. In the 2000s, police officers remain linked with death squad type executions. In 2003, roughly 2,000 extrajudicial murders occurred in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro, with Amnesty International claiming the numbers are likely far higher. Brazilian politician Flavio Bolsonaro, ever heard of him? The son of Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro was accused of having ties to the death squads. Wow. And this has been Culture Corner with Wendy Yay! and Beth. How do that you was feel? fun. Yay. <laughs> May we be excused now? Can we go live on the moon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my Good God. <laughs> So back to the story. Franco, the suspect for the murder of Pamela, turned out to resemble the description of the murderer who had shot the unnamed victim 12 times in the park back on August 19th, 2008. The suspicions surrounding the retired sergeant were reinforced by some of the men who frequented the park at night and said they had seen him several times in the area. Fortunato wanted to arrest Franco for the 13 park murders as well as for Pamela's murder, but the judge presiding over the case refused that request and only authorized a search of his residence. No potential clues were found during that search. The fact that Fortunato had been investigating the link between the murders wasn't publicized until December 2008. The killer by that time had been dubbed as the Rainbow Maniac, a reference to the colors of the pride flag, since the murders were occurring in a park that was known to be frequented by gay men. There was an assumption by the public and the police that anyone going to the park at night was gay and looking to hook up. So they assumed that was the case for the victims of these shootings. In December 2008, the governor of Sao Paulo, Jose Serra, visited Carapiquiba and vowed that the police would catch the rainbow maniac. Okay. All right. Prior to Fortunato. All right. Okay, boo. Uh, So prior to Fortunato linking the park murders, they had each been investigated individually as simple acts of homicidal violence, not uncommon in Sao Paulo. No mention of hate crime. Hmm? No. Fortunato assigned a team of 15 detectives to work the case, with each of the murders being reexamined in light of the new theory. Ballistics tests were ordered to see if the same handgun was used in all of the murders. In an interview from December 2008, Fortunato said, quote, We realized that the murders in a row exceeded the limits of common crimes in that region. The murders had common characteristics. The victims were found with their pants down, lying down, and most were killed with shots to the head and the back of the head, unquote. He added that all of the victims had no criminal record. He stated that they were all homosexual as well, though we don't know if that was actually the case or not. Of the 14 victims, victims in the park 11 were killed at night most were murdered with a 38 revolver one with a semi-automatic weapon probably a pistol and one of the victims was beaten to death all victims were lower middle class eight of them were from Carapiquiba, two from osasco two from sao paulo and one from coria most were between 25 and 35 years old and all were identified by the police as male though at least one was dressed as female that was pamela 
So according to Fortunato, quote, whoever committed the crimes did it when they felt like killing and not often. We are gathering technical and scientific data, but we will have to rely on the luck factor to identify the murderer since there were no witnesses. Sounds like he's trying to like weasel his way out of like, yeah. if we don't catch him, If we sorry. don't catch him, it's because there were no witnesses. Sorry, yeah, sorry guys. Bye. <laughs> 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 he also noted that the location is at the edge of the city and that a shot would have been noticed by other people at the park. So it had probably been empty when they were killed. Hmm. Of the killer, Fortunato said, quote, in his head, he thinks he is doing a cleanup job. We are dealing with a suspect who kills homosexuals exclusively. In his mind, he's cleaning up the place. He doesn't like he hates homosexuals. Who is he? We don't know. Unquote. In December 2008, there was a public statement released by the Sao Paulo State Public Safety Department that a state police officer might be involved in the murders, but they did not want to provide more details so as not to jeopardize the investigation. One local newspaper suggested the killer may have arranged meetings with his victims over the Internet using the social networking service Orkut. <laughs> Before Fortunato had taken over the investigation, only five police officers from the third police department in the city, neighboring the park and serving a population of over 100,000 people, had looked into the deaths. So only five police officers. Oh, now, geez. all the people already questioned about the murders were investigated again, but none produced any clues about the cases. I was thinking if law enforcement has to form death squads to solve problems, I don't know if they can be trusted to yeah. investigate murder cases. They need to put that energy into investigating murder right, cases. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's like, I'm not going to clean up this mess uh, like the right way. I'm just going to uh, shove everything under the rug by murdering yeah. every all the yes. problems. Like there you go. Uh, so the victim's relatives interviewed in December 2008 said at the time that they did not believe that the perpetrator of the crimes had been identified. Solange Vieira Damasceno de Olveira, 44, widow of Miguel Gonzalez de Olveira Filo, 47, who was killed on August 2nd in 2008, said, quote, until today, no investigator came to my house to find out details about my husband's life. They didn't even call us to testify. It even gives the impression that they don't want to solve anything, unquote. Hmm. And I'm going to have to say, I, I, she's on to something. She is on right. to something. Absolutely. Yeah. In a December 2008 interview, the commander of the 3rd Battalion of the Military Police, Lieutenant Colonel Alvaro Ferraz Prado, said that the policing in the region of Parque dos Paturas during the night had been reinforced. Undercover officers began patrolling the park at night as well. The 13-month killing spree coincided with a study by the Grupo Gay da Bahia, Brazil's oldest gay rights group, that described Brazil as leading the world in the murder of homosexuals winning no that's not that's not winning <laughs> that is not, not very winning, much winning. No. That's, that's the opposite of winning and then yeah. lower the bar into hell and that's that's where that is yeah yeah According to the study, there were 122 homophobic murders in Brazil in 2007, compared with 35 in Mexico and 25 in the U.S., 122. Wow. A previous study claimed that between 1980 and 2006, at least 2,680 gay people were killed oh in Brazil. Oh, my God. Mostly as a result of homophobic violence. Human beings. Yeah. Just 
for who they are. Yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to say, like, we talk about indigenous communities um, in every episode to give honor to the lands that were taken. And mm-hmm. in indigenous communities, they honor this concept of two spirits and LGBTQism. And it, you just don't see this um, negativity that colonialism and Christianity. The European um, and Western yeah, values. brought over bring, to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so the wife of the first victim, Jose Cicero Enrique, who died in July 2007, says she was called twice to the police station, but that she never got any answer about what happened to Enrique. They had been married for six years. Claudenice Moreira Lopez, 28 years old, said, quote, The police failed to explain. People are poor. They don't have money. If I had, I would already know what happened, unquote. Wow. She's probably not wrong either. Yeah. According to her, her husband had no involvement with crime or trafficking and no debts. Quote, We used to walk in the park on Sundays. Since that happened, I haven't gone back there. Unquote. The couple lived near the park and she says that she didn't think her husband was looking for sex, but that he might have simply used the park as a shortcut to a friend's house. According to police at the time, at least 200 people would pass through the park on a weekend night. The second victim's wife of 35 years, Maria Pereira, also said that she believed the police hadn't adequately investigated her husband's death because of their social status and because they assumed he was gay. She said that her husband, Jose Adelson Pereira, a 58-year-old construction worker likely witnessed something in the park that got him killed. She Mm. didn't think he was gay as he had six children and 18 grandchildren by her. Uh, But let us reiterate here that it doesn't matter whether these men were gay or not. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but regardless, no one deserves to be murdered like this, right? We said this on a, a re- what did we say? When did we say this? I don't uh, remember, uh, but extra, we said extra. it before. We yeah. said it before that <laughs> your your uh, sexual orientation, your race, your class should not prevent you from getting assistance um, from law enforcement or media coverage. And everyone deserves to have due diligence in the investigation of their murder. The police could have done a lot better in these cases. That's an understatement. Yeah, no kidding. On December 10th, 2008, police finally arrested 48-year-old retired military police sergeant Jairo Francisco Franco based on witness statements connecting him to the murder of Pedro, a.k.a. Pamela. Both Franco and Pamela's names were entered into the Autonomistas Hotel records as having checked in hours before Pamela was found shot in the street. Two witnesses also saw Franco and Pamela entering the hotel. Another witness told police that Franco often visited the park to look for gay men and victims. A witness also claimed to have seen Franco shoot a black gay man 12 times. Hmm, interesting. Fortunato said at the time, quote, we are convinced he is the rainbow maniac. We have been looking for, unquote. Give us a round of applause. Remember Jeb Jeb Bush? Please clap, (laughs) unquote. (laughs) Although the police continue to step up patrols in the park despite the arrest. Interesting. Yeah. Joao Batista, owner of the supermarket where Franco had worked as a security guard after he retired from the military police, said in a television interview that his employee had seemed like a calm guy. 
hey. the calm before the storm. <laughs> yeah. It's always the quiet ones. Uh, right. Is it right? <laughs> right. Plus, I think it takes us a, a, a certain type of personality to want to be a police officer. Yeah. And it, you, you have to have some element of being capable of violence. Violence. And yeah. So I wouldn't put it past him, but okay, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Batista. <laughs> On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Uh, So now we're going to get into the trial. What the what, Beth? The only murder for which Jairo Francisco Franco was indicted was for the August 19th, 2008 murder of the unnamed man who had been shot 12 times in the park. It wasn't until 2011, a full three years later, that the trial finally took place. And convenient how they tried him for the one who was unnamed. Don't you think? I don't or know. Indicted him for the one I, that I don't unnamed. know that they didn't know his name. Um, the press didn't know his name. We don't know his name, but they may right. have. Yeah. I just think it's it's convenient because a little foreshadowing <laughs> when he gets out. Um, and uh, well, we'll get into it. But okay, okay. I just think it's convenient. Right. So right, I can't on- wait to hear why. Okay. Okay. So on Tuesday, August 23rd, 2011, the trial of Jairo Francisco Franco began. It was a brief trial and Franco was released the very same day, having been declared not guilty by the jury by four votes against two. Franco's trial had begun at 10 a.m. that day and ended at 11 p.m. And the shit. reason why I say it's convenient is this was a police officer who did some fuckery and yeah. the community needed some they needed this somebody somebody needs to get arrested somebody needs to get indicted and tried so our community can move on wash our hands that's done wash our hands so the process everybody got to go through the process and Jairo Francisco Franco gets to sail away into the sunset yeah Franco was not charged with any of the other murders due to lack of evidence no other suspect has stood trial for these murders so now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll tell you. So uh, what do we think? Was Franco the killer or was it just pinned on him because he was caught spending time with Pedro, a.k.a. Pamela? 
Or were these political killings or genocidal acts by death squad and not the acts of a serial killer? Maybe Franco did kill Pamela, but not the others. Or maybe someone else killed Pamela and Franco just happened to be there. Or were there even more killings that just weren't noticed because of the social status of the victims involved? It's so hard to say, lacking access to any of the evidence, if there even was any beyond eyewitness testimony. What do we do? This is a little different one than than normal because it is still unsolved. Where is he, she, they now? We don't yeah. really know. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. Sorry. Nighty night. <laughs> Sleep tight. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. And the statistics are just staggering that um these murders, these types of murders continue to happen. Like the, yeah. arresting and trying this guy did nothing. So yeah. what do you yeah. got, Beth? What? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's takeaway time. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> what are your takeaways, Beth? Well, I had a lot of thoughts when yeah. going through this story, like death squads. What? what? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> that is fucking terrifying. Yeah. In a society, a civil quote unquote society. Yeah. This should be yeah. a death squad. Uh, no. And that, that, <laughs> that it's just accepted as part of the society. That's nuts. Yeah. And <laughs> we don't trust the police in the US, but this is so much worse. So, <laughs> well, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, have you, you've been listening to the LA gangs, LA County Sheriff oh, yeah. gang one? Yeah. That's yeah. a death squad. Just that, got a different yeah, name. Right. We call you're them right. sheriffs. Okay. All right. I I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> They're just a different name. Yeah. A rose by any other name. Is it's it still a rose? Smells, smells I don't just know Shakespeare. Sweet. I'm just <laughs> pretending. Also, while doing my research, I thought it was an interesting blend of customs that Brazil has. Like oh, they yeah. can be super conservative, but mm -hmm. also in some ways, like with LGBTQ rights and Carnival. Yeah. Much less inhibited than the U.S. Right? Yeah. And I have no idea who the killer was. I mean, okay. it, I don't okay. I don't actually What about don't... that dude, Leonardo, who saw that, three bodies in the that park? That did cross my mind that it was Leonardo um, because after they questioned him and everything the killing stopped but huh. See? yeah yeah so but um i don't know i don't know and uh, well. i don't think it was franco uh -uh. um I think he might have killed Pamela yeah or somebody else killed Pamela to hurt him because who knows oh, i don't know what kind okay. of relationship oh. they had yeah. if they were you know if he was paying for sex or if they were actually like lovers or what i don't know yeah yeah um and it could have been death squads, for all I know, because right, um, if they decided, you know what, we need to get rid of all these gay people. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. Absolutely, yeah, I wouldn't either. I do think that it's interesting that in 2008 they said they were going to do ballistic tests to see if they could match the bullets. And then crickets. I, I couldn't find anything. I mean, these ballistic tests oh, have to have been done never, by now. They never did it. Or they, or they never, it? they either never did it or they did it and never reported what the results were. Um, I'm sorry, and, and guys. May... I was too busy with my death squad business. <laughs> yeah. I forgot all about the ballistic <laughs> tests on my yeah. desk. And who knows, they may have matched it to somebody and it was higher, somebody in a high status. And they were like, you know what? Right. Uh, we're just going to bury this. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you know, you think the conspiracy theories are just cuckoo, not true, but some of them are uh, true. Some of them are true. True. Yeah. Well, um, Minnie, who contributed, who wrote this whole, uh, wrote and researched this case um, for Fruit Loops, um, said that um, she thinks an overarching theme of this story is machismo. And I couldn't agree uh, more. I do think that that is an important, because the whole society is machista, machismo, engages in in this toxic masculinity and wants, and seem to really... um, the contrast seemed to be so free with LGBTQ rights and carnival, but so super conservative that they couldn't reconcile with this uh, LGBTQ activity going on and wanted yeah. to do something about it either to instill fear. I'm surprised that the authorities maybe hate crimes, not a thing in Brazil, but these seem to be to be hate crimes. Yeah. I mean, the way the bodies were left with the pants down on the ankles, yeah. like that's a pretty humiliating position to being um and so uh just it struck me as um hate crime and um the powers that be law enforcement the media being extremely homophobic and racist and classist and that is why these crimes were allowed to continue for as long as they did and nobody really paid for it um and um i don't know why i got so into the idea of shame um but i i do think that there is a, an element of shame cuz let's be honest there's a lot of men who play pretend to be straight and yeah. engage with lgbtq it, it, it with in in a homosexual sex or sex with a trans person and enjoy it but are just not free to be themselves they yeah they're ashamed they're yeah. ashamed yeah and so i one of my favorite quotes is um, something about if one single person witnesses the shame of a man, he will cut out the eyes of the entire world. Um, And I was listening to Brene Brown talk about shame she actually does you know who Brene Brown is yeah, right yeah um she, one of my favorite white ladies N- never not never above Beth of course <laughs> but, uh, she talked about like shame and vulnerability and how one of the bravest things we can do is be vulnerable as human beings and machismo is a different flavor of the same toxic masculinity bullshit pie we have all over the world yeah. and how shame is correlated with violence and for men, we talked about how shame looks, you know, you don't want to be weak. And um, I just think um, that it, that that's what came to my mind when looking into this case. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. um, it, it was just really sad and scary that LGBTQ folks had been and continue to be under attack just for existing. Yeah. So now we're going to get into how not to get <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna need some tea here Talk so much if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's experiences so i was just thinking that in the face of so much lgbtq hate um and terror 
to remind LGBTQ folks to find joy anywhere you can. And um, if there are LGBTQ people in your life that you um, care about, um, just share some of these tips with them to find joy. Because what we do, what do we do? We fight, we celebrate, we rest and repeat. Um, And we all do it at different times to keep moving forward. Um, So some sources for LGBTQ joy and support. Um, I wanted to say first, follow LGBTQ plus voices on the internet, doing work, spreading positivity. There's the Trevor Project. Um, there is um, Poppy Juice, which is an LGBTQ plus collective on the internet. Um, L Nuzzles is a trans um, black person on the internet who is working on their PhD, but has some really smart takes on things going on in the world and also reminding us to um, take care of ourselves and um, feel all the joy. If you are seeking issues, or or I'm sorry, if you are seeking support, I don't want any more issues. (laughs) If you are seeking support for issues with coming out, relationships, bullying, self-harm, and more, you can contact the LGBT National Hotline at one 888-843-4564. That's 1-888-843-4564. That will be in the show notes for peer-to-peer support. Um, and if anybody, you or anybody you know, is struggling with a mental health crisis, contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, um, SAMHSA, the National Helpline. That number will also be in our show notes. Um, and if you are having suicidal thoughts, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Um, and that is what I got. Well, thank you. You betcha. It's shout out time <laughs> where we shout out any content by or about any LGBTQ folks, people of color, marginalized folks, or any true crime goodies. I'm just throwing out all of the LGBTQ funny podcasts that I okay. listen to. Um, I have one true crime one, Beyond the Rainbow. Shout uh-huh. out to our pal at um, Beyond the Rainbow, a true crime podcast about LGBTQ victims. Um, and I love Watch What's Crappening. Right. But because LG, uh, because Game of Thrones is coming came out, uh-huh. they did a whole series called Winter is Crappening, <laughs> where they do the voices of all the people in the Game oh of Thrones God. and like, that's funny. The it's so funny <laughs> um also keep it a podcast um kind of like beth and me but it's two gay men a black one oh. and a white one and they talk about pop culture and interview really rad people um in pop culture awesome. and then there's also the read which is a um like a black queer ex um excellence fun kind of podcast where they talk about um pop culture and um, they read advice letters and then at the end they read people who are on some bullshit for filth. Nice. Um, What do you got, Beth? (laughs) Well, I haven't watched it yet because it just dropped today, Uh, but Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities is on Netflix. Oh my God, I'm not going to sleep. I know. So I know what I'm going to be watching when we get off the mic. (laughs) Oh, boy. It's a series that features eight unique horror stories that challenge the classical horror genre. Two of the episodes are co-written by Del Toro himself, while the others are written and directed by various filmmakers. And it sounds amazing. Oh, my God. I, oh, my God. I can't wait to play. It's open right now on my phone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
So that is a couple podcasts beyond the rainbow. Winter is crapping. Uh, keep it and the read, as well as Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities on Netflix. Right on. Oh man, that's it. That's it. Where can the people find us, Beth? <laughs> <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. This is a a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal.